With the latest agriculture news from across the state and nation, it's time for the AgNet News Hour from AgNet West. Here's your host, Sabrina Halbertson. Good morning, and thank you for joining us today on the AgNet News Hour. Coming up later, there's optimism for AgChem prices in the second half of 2024. We'll have more on that, but we start with Brian German. And we are out in the New Holland booth at World Ag Expo 2024. And uh, who am I standing here with this morning? My name is Mike Terry. I'm with Raven. I'm a field system specialist for Raven here. Um, been with Raven for about two years now. We're standing in front of a fairly new piece of equipment for you folks here. And uh, sounds pretty exciting. And it's kind of getting rolled out in some different areas in California. So uh, tell me a little bit about this equipment here. So what we have here is our new uh, fan sprayer system. It is a uh, with our Hawkeye 2 system. And so with that is we're able to control droplet size as well as pressure and section, section control for sprayers and orchards, for vineyards and orchards as well. And the benefits of that is, is going to be just refining those applications further, right? Just to make sure that you're, you're getting what you want where it needs to go. Correct. So with that, with the restrictions we have in California, we can actually control the droplet size more efficiently, have better traceability of where product is being applied in the in the fields, and then trace it, going back and showing our records where we've applied and where we didn't apply. So traditional fan sprayers, when they would make coming out and they would make their turns, typically their sprays are still on. They have most don't have controls over turn off spray. They just keep going. With this, when you leave your boundary point, the spray automatically turns off by itself. So therefore, when they're making turns or they have point rows where they're spraying on the left side and they're not spraying on the right, where there's a roadway, it'll shut off on the right side and keep spraying on the left and control that same pressure and the, the key rate that the grower is looking for that's been applied. And all that's, uh, you, you program that in and then once you get going, that's it's, it's going to know where you are based on GPS? Yes. So on the tablet we have inside the, inside the tractor, um, you select your field. You bring in from whatever your, your agronomist, your PCA is, is written down. They select that field, that recommendation. They select that. It will not uh, allow you to apply until you are inside that boundary. So the safety is there's no chance of an applicator applying outside the boundary or in the wrong field because he's outside that boundary. He would be outside that boundary at that point. And then part of some of the uh, digitization of this is, um, you know, it sounds like it helps kind of clean up some of that paperwork aspect as well. Absolutely. So with this process, it's all digital. Again, you don't have an applicator in the tractor that's got a piece of paper, and if he loses it, he forgot where he's going or something. If that happens, uh, it's now digitalized. So when they complete the job inside the cab, they can send it back through our, our AgSync process, and it goes back to the, the agronomist or whoever that they are is their provider, and then goes through CalAg permits and to the counties from there. We were talking a little bit here, and without getting into too much specifics, uh, sounds like there's been some successes already with some acreage in California. I mean, what uh, what types of growers ha- have been having some success with this, and what areas of California? So right now we have uh, about 10 systems going, uh, and we're in vineyards, uh, so wine grapes, table grapes, and lemons, so citrus as well. Those have been in Central Valley and on the coast along Salinas area. And anyone that wants to uh, learn more about this are obviously not going to be able to make it to the farm show here today. But uh, where can they learn more or, um, you know, get some more information on this? So right now you can go to uh, Raven, Raven's website, or any New Holland dealership in California. We can we can connect that way and, and go from there. It's just ask about the orchard sprayer and, and we'll connect that way. The Agriculture Secretary says a new initiative is designed to encourage increased use of underutilized renewable energy technologies among ag producers. Rod Bain has more. 
a new USDA Energy Department collaboration hopes to raise the use of underutilized renewable energy technologies among our nation's farmers. Raise, as in rural and agricultural income and savings from renewable energy initiative. As explained by Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack earlier this week, before members of the Distributed Wind Energy Association. We set aside almost $145 million for that purpose, and we decided to talk with our friends at the Department of Energy Could we coordinate an effort and could we set a goal? The goal, associated with Rural Energy for America program REAP funding, of providing another 400 farmers across the country adopting distributive wind power. That'd be about a four-time increase in the number of distributive wind power projects we fund in the past. And we're also going to identify some resources that will provide for entities like this to provide the technical assistance to encourage folks to participate in this initiative. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. In today's National Spotlight, Farm Bill progress is being hampered by disagreements over nutrition assistance spending. Gary Crawford has more. Some lawmakers are insisting on cuts in nutrition assistance programs like SNAP before they're going to vote for a new Farm Bill. However, the chair of the Senate Agriculture Committee, Debbie Stabenow, says... We're just not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Stabenow telling a White House Food, Nutrition and Health conference this week in no uncertain terms that she's not going to help pass a farm bill that cuts nutrition assistance programs. And so if that means we continue the policies of the 2018 farm bill, which were pretty good if I do say so myself, then that's okay with me because we're not going to go backwards on feeding people and we're not going to go backwards by the way on the climate conservation money that we also have there that is so critical. Stepanow says what we have now is a stare down between the two sides on this issue and so far no one is blinking. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. White House and USDA officials recently announced a series of rural economic development investments as part of a rural prosperity town hall meeting. Here's Rod Bain. A set of investments in rural America. Announced as part of a recent Rural Prosperity Town Hall meeting in North Carolina. Providing some of the details at the event, Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack. We are, in fact, expanding significantly investments in expanded broadband access in rural places. We're looking at ways in which we can improve the quality of water and wastewater systems. From an economic development standpoint, if you don't have a good water treatment system, if you don't have a disposal system, it's pretty tough to introduce economic opportunity into your community. So we're investing in that. We're investing in a wide variety of opportunities for expanded housing and ways in which we can encourage and improve quality of life through community facilities. Total investment in 216 new projects come in at over $772 million and are expected to benefit more than 1 million rural citizens. Among those, the latest round of investments, the latest round of investments within the federal government's Rural Partners Network, consisting of almost $77 million focused on 32 projects in seven states. This is White House Domestic Policy Advisor Neera Tandon. The Domestic Policy Council works very closely with the U.S. Department of Agriculture that rural communities are able to access federal funding, especially when they have more limited staff than other communities. The Rural Partners Network focuses on community economic development projects in rural underserved areas, ranging from an addition to a county courthouse facility to a new lighting array for a small-town bakery. And Tandon emphasizes the partnership aspect among federal entities in providing needed support, 
services and technical advice. We've identified rural desk officers at 20 federal agencies and regional commissions who are focused on supporting RPN communities. Another focus area for rural economic development is improvement of high-speed internet access and infrastructure. Announced at the town hall meeting, $42 million in grants through the ReConnect program. Now bringing total investments through eligible projects to $3.7 billion with a B dollars. And Secretary Vilsack announced the next round of ReConnect opportunities. So communities now have an opportunity beginning on March 22nd to be able to apply for resources. They can provide for up to $200 million in loans or up to $150 million in grants to be able to expand access to high-speed Internet. Those applications will start on March 22nd and they'll be open until May 21st. With information available at www.usda.gov slash reconnect. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. That's today's National Spotlight. Now here's Real Jordan with the Livestock Report. In today's Livestock News, starting today, dairy producers are able to enroll for the 2024 Dairy Margin Coverage, an important safety net program offered through the U.S. Department of Agriculture that provides producers with price support to help offset milk and feed price differences. This year's DMC sign-up begins February 28th and ends April 29th. For those who signed up for the 2024 DMC coverage, payments may begin as soon as March 4th for any payments that triggered in January of 2024. USDA's Farm Service Agency has revised the regulations for DMC to allow eligible dairy operations to make a one-time adjustment to establish dairy production history. This adjustment will be accomplished by combining previously established supplemental production history with DMC production history for those dairy operations that participated in supplemental dairy margin coverage during a prior coverage year. DMC has also been authorized through calendar year 2024. Congress passed a 2018 Farm Bill extension requiring these regulatory changes to the program. FSA is announcing the sign-up for 2024 dairy margin coverage. We encourage producers to enroll in this important safety net program. In reviewing 2023 margins and the more than $1.2 billion in dairy margin coverage payment issued to producers, dairy margin coverage is proven to be a program to reduce risk for our dairy producers, said FSA Administrator Zach Dushnow. If 2023 taught us anything, it's that we honestly have no idea what will happen in the market in any given year. Producers who took advantage of this affordable risk management tool for the 2023 program year were able to mitigate some financial impacts on their operations. At 15 cents per hundredweight for $9.5 coverage, risk protection through dairy margin coverage is a relatively inexpensive investment and a true sense of security and peace of mind. To learn more, visit USDA.gov or visit your local USDA service center. In other livestock news, will we see a rebound in 2024 U.S. meat production? USDA's Rod Bain has more. Last year was the first time since 2014 that total U.S. meat production did not record a year-over-year increase. Will that trend continue in 2024? As USDA Livestock Analyst Shale Shagam explained at this year's Ag Outlook Forum. When we're talking about the total meat sector, we're talking about very, very small growth, less than one-tenth of a percent, taking us up to about a shy of 107 million pounds. 
in terms of expected production by meat category. Basically what we're looking at is declining beef and turkey production, but increases in pork and broiler meat. Most of these are not very large changes, with the exception of beef. That due to the impacts of multi-year drought on cattle supplies. The expected decline in turkey production this year is associated with a period of weak prices and effects from a recent outbreak of highly pathogenic avian influenza the past few months. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. Join me back tomorrow for an update on highly pathogenic avian influenza. I'm Will Jordan for Agnet West. Keep feeding the world. Don't forget if you've missed any of our morning shows or if you just want to get the news at a different time, you can subscribe to our podcast and have statewide agriculture news at your convenience. Just search for the Agnet News Hour on your favorite podcast downloading app. This is the AgNet News Hour. I'm Sabrina Halverson, and we will be back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Welcome back to the AgNet News Hour. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Coming up in a few moments, we'll have today's This Land of Hours report, but first, more of the day's agriculture news. And with today's AgNet West headlines, here's AgNet West Farm News Director Brian German. Pivot Bio's innovator program has paid over $6 million to growers since its launch in 2022, focusing on better nitrogen management practices. The program offers payments to farmers, connecting them with companies aiming for Scope 3 emissions reduction. Notably, the largest transaction involved the sale of 100,000 nitrogen credits, representing the avoidance of 100,000 metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent across 300,000 acres. In total, the growers in that partnership replaced over 10 million pounds of synthetic fertilizer. Partnerships have included consumer goods companies, ingredient suppliers, spirit producers, and grain buyers. The Innovator program recorded the avoidance of 80,000 metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent in 2022. Results from fiscal year 2023 will be shared this spring with Pivot Bio expecting significant growth through enrollment of more growers, acres, and corporate partners in the 2024 program. After record high input prices that were experienced in recent years, there's reason for optimism moving forward. Head of Rabo Research Food and Agribusiness for North America, Roland Vamazi highlighted the role that China plays in potentially bringing prices down for many important ag inputs over the course of 2024. The other thing in terms of inflation on the grower in the ag chem space, right? We think in the second half of 2024, uh, China's going to come back into the export market, right? A lot of the components that go into the ag chem space come out of China. They have sort of pulled back and, and kind of held back a lot of those products the last couple of years, trying to make sure they're taking care of their domestic industry. We think in the second half of this year, they're going to step back into that export space in a little bigger capacity, and that should help on pricing in the ag chem space. The Landflex Incentive Program is shown to be a successful adaptive approach to help meet the goals of Sigma. Almond Alliance CEO Aubrey Betancourt explained some of the efforts to keep the program going moving forward. The program has proven itself. The Department of Water Resources knows that, believes that, especially their Sigma team. And so the program is still alive and it is still housed at Department of Water Resources. We've proven the concept through the pilot phase. Now it's about developing a sustainable funding mechanism for the program, which is why we're exploring diversity and more applications of the program, particularly around emergency. Being able to turn the program on in an emergency would also help if you get into the weeds of of how funding works. Emergency funding is typically faster and easier to get, even in a bad budget year. And so we're exploring that option, but also continuing to work with the department and even the legislature on the importance of this program, the viability of its program, and the need to create a consistent funding mechanism for this program in order for it to expand. The UC Davis Department of Viticulture and Enology Extension team will be on the road in Fresno County in the coming weeks. 
On-the-road programs are educational seminars that help the Department of Viticulture and Enology communicate with the California grape and wine industries by bringing faculty to different regions of the state. The next seminar is scheduled to start at 9 a.m. on Tuesday, March 19th at the Kearney Ag Center in Parlier. Some of the topics of discussion will include factors affecting fruit maturation rates, grape smoke exposure, and foundations for a modern grape breeding program. UC Davis Viticulture and Enology Extension Specialist Matthew Fidelibus will also be talking about macro and micronutrient budgets on table grapes. A wrap-up with questions and an open discussion will take place just before lunch. More information about the seminar is available on the upcoming events page at agnetwest.com. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. A new campaign to connect us to nature. That's coming up on This Land of Ours. The National Forest Foundation and USDA's Forest Service this week announced the launch of Nature Connects Us. The outreach campaign aims to awaken and strengthen our connection to national forests and grasslands. The campaign is grounded in honoring ancestral tribal homelands through respectful and mindful visitor experiences. It was born out of the need to grow and understand the respect that the public lands require on a deeper level. NFF CEO Mary Mistis says, We aim to welcome all people to enjoy the outdoors in a manner that amplifies who they are as an individual and members of a larger community. The outreach campaign is the largest and most comprehensive outreach campaign that the Forest Service has collaborated on with the NFF throughout their partnership over the past several decades. The National Forest Foundation is the congressionally chartered nonprofit working to improve and restore the health of the 193 million acre national forest system. Here's Cindy Zimmerman. All right, Eric, let's get started. If you would please introduce yourself for me. Hi, uh, my name is Eric Hushett. I am the current chairman of the board for the RFA Association. And where do you work, Eric? I am from, uh, I'm the general manager and CEO of Badger Street Ethanol in Monroe, Wisconsin. All right, very good. Well, we're here in San Diego for the National Ethanol Conference. And just overall, your impression about the conference this year? Well, I'm always so, so proud to be associated with this amazing group of people um, from the staff and the amazing leadership of Jeff and the board and all of the members. Um, it is powered by partnerships. That's the motto. And boy, there's no, no truer words right now. And this is such a great example of that. Everybody coming together, sharing the knowledge they have, being realistic about the challenges that lie ahead of us, but gets everybody pointing in the right direction for the entire year. It seems like we've got a really big crowd this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I hear numbers of over 800, and when you see how full it is in every session, uh, really, really warms your heart to know everybody's moving in the same direction. Well, what do you see as the biggest challenges right now facing the industry? Well, uh, the good thing is we're all time-tested because being in the ethanol industry, nothing comes in a straight line and nothing is easy. So the biggest challenges, in, in, in my view, is seeing if we have policymakers, and especially when it comes to the details of the implementation of the IRA, we need to have a good, solid foundation, and we need to have line of sight to what does the market need and how does the market help us get there. So that's the biggest challenge. We have so much work to do, but you can't lay it until you get the rules, and so everybody is on hold until we see that. What did you think about what Secretary Vilsack had to say about E15 nationwide? Well, if, I, if I'm being very honest, I'm a little bit nerdy in the fact that he's been my hero since I heard him speak 15 years ago. 
you can't fake it when you're that passionate. You know the details of which the plight of every community that we're in. We know how important ethanol was to help make it different. We weren't making agriculture now farm for a government check or an LDP or a deficiency payment. We gave them a market. We provided a market. And it's been a community project ever since for the entire industry. So his words really, really resonate with me. The fact that uh, if we have to wait till 2025, it's an embarrassment of our political leadership that they can't get it done earlier. We'll take it in 2025, and we will certainly expect waivers now because it's what our country needs. It's what the consumer needs. And so as long as we have a path, a clear path to, to be able to have year-round E15, uh, we'll show a little more patience. Well, we... Uh RFA honored uh, Secretary Vilsack with an award, and also honored uh, Dr. Michael Wang with, with Argon, who developed the Greek bottle. And here we're looking at a March 1st deadline for revisions to that. What are your feelings about that? How do you feel about whether you're going to get what you want? Well, um, my concern is this, is the science has always been on ethanol side. And we hear all of these other examples of if you want to make a tilted playing field and give the advantage to EVs by not recognizing the life cycle analysis, my frustration is deep in the fact that this is not equitable. If the goal is to clean the environment, we have the tools ready today. We've had the tools ready for 20 years. And if politicians and policymakers were serious about it, they would pay a better attention and sit up because we have the tools in this room to help be part of the solution today, not 10 years from now, not 2050, and we have it in a way that is economically prosperous, not a taxpayer-subsidized program on the base of somebody else footing the bill. This is cleaner, more affordable, and, 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 and so I'm very, very passionate about the fact that we have the tools in the kit. We need policymakers to stand up and recognize that. And I know it's a continual fight, and we've won so many battles. We've had so many progress. But, again, it goes back to the first thing we said, never a clear line of sight. It's always a mountain to climb till you get to the next one. And yet you're still optimistic. Absolutely. I, I, I'm optimistic because of this, is I know that science is on our side. And I know that the brilliant people and the dedicated people and the passion that's in this room will not be overcome by any politicians, naysayer that exists in the marketplace. So I'm very, very optimistic about agriculture's future. That's all the questions I have, Eric. Anything else you want to add? No, but I, I thank you for being such a hard worker, catching all of these words. It's important that it gets out, and your work is uh, so much appreciated, Cindy. Well, yours is too. Thank you very much, Eric. Here at the National Ethanol Conference, I'm Cindy. Food shoppers will likely see only low to moderate food price hikes this year. Gary Crawford has the latest forecast. Food at home, otherwise known as grocery store food prices, will likely go up this year, but by far less than in recent years. Here's the latest price forecast we have. It's just out from the Department of Agriculture. We're expecting food at home prices to increase by 1.6% in 2024. Economist Megan Schweitzer tracks food prices for the Agriculture Department, and she says right now a food price increase of 1.6% is the most likely educated estimate. Now, yes, it's very early in the year to be absolutely sure of that forecast, but she did tell us. If we were to see 1.6% growth, that would be the lowest we've seen since 2019, when food at home prices rose by 0.9%. And this 1.6% is also lower than, than really the long-term 
historical average. Over the past 20 years, the average change in food at home prices has been an increase of 2.7% per year. And of course, 1.6% food price inflation would not only be lower than last year's 5% hike, but also hugely lower than 2022 when shoppers saw grocery store prices increase almost 11.5% in just that one year. Megan says since 2022, though, many things have been happening which have started to whittle away at food price inflation rates. We saw commodity prices ease from their highs in 2022. Uh, Energy and fertilizer prices have both come down quite a bit. The Fed has raised the federal funds rate, which helps to temper inflationary factors across the economy, including some of those that impact food price changes. So these factors are behind the forecast for moderate food price growth, not an actual decline in overall food prices, just a decline in the inflation rate. Although, Megan says it's not out of the realm of possibilities for prices to actually go down. Food at home prices typically do increase each year, but we have seen a couple of years in the, in the recent past where prices did decline. We saw this in 2016, where prices declined by 1.3%. And in 2017, where prices declined by 0.2%. And indeed, we food shoppers will likely see lower prices than last year for some products, several of them, as a matter of fact. Megan Schweitzer expects pork to decrease by 0.5%. That's the only category that uh, experienced a price decline in 2023. We're predicting a a decline of 0.9% for fish and seafood prices, 0.5% for cereals and bakery product prices, and 2.8% for egg prices. And one final note, so far we've only talked about grocery store food prices going up by only 1.6%, but Megan Schweitzer says if you eat out, prepare to pay 5% more this year because of increases in things like labor and energy. Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. This is the Agnet News Hour, and we will be back in just a moment with more agriculture news. Welcome back to the Agnet News Hour. Here's Brian German. Today's specialty crop news brought to you by the Almond Board of California. You can find them online at almonds.com. Senior Specialist of Industry Communications for the Almond Board, Taylor Hillman talks to ABC Manager of Trade Marketing and Stewardship, Sharice Grace, about some upcoming events to help continue building demand for almonds. The trade marketing and stewardship team, you guys have a pretty good list of um, events throughout the year that you guys make sure is a priority that you attend. March, very diverse for you. You've got a few different events in there for different audiences. Will you talk a little bit about the networking opportunities and the differences in in these conferences? Absolutely, Taylor. So March is definitely going to be very busy for the trade marketing team. Um, We plan to attend several events, the biggest one being Natural Products Expo West, and that's in Anaheim, California, um, where you have about 50 to 70,000 attendees at that event. And it's all about natural foods as well as new product introductions. So excited about that. In addition to Expo West in Anaheim, we will also be attending Food Innovate in Atlanta, and then we'll be exhibiting at the Southern California Institute of Food Technologists, we call it SCIF, Suppliers Night um, Expo, and that's going to be in Garden Grove, California. Now, those those trade shows are very different from each other. You're not going to see the same people at those shows, right? They're very different audience. 
Absolutely. So first of all, natural um, products, or let's call it Expo West, is a massive show. I mentioned earlier that it's about 65,000 attendees with about 3,000 um, exhibitors. So it's the industry's largest trade show for natural and organic products. And that's in food and beverage, beauty, and home products, as well as lots of supplements and ingredients. For the Almond Board, this event is a great place because it helps us identify um, up-and-coming industry trends, opportunities uh, for California almonds, and just the ability to share new resources with CPG brands and startups to help them get a sense of how almonds can solve whatever product development needs that they may have. And so we really enjoy being a part of that event. So that's the first one is Expo West. And again, that one is in Anaheim, California. During Expo West, um, the Institute of Food Technologists or the Southern California um, Division of IFT, they hold what they called a Supplier's Night Expo. And within the 65,000 plus attendees at Expo West, this event has about 3,000 of those attendees with 400 exhibitors. And so at this event, it's a little bit, a little bit more ingredient focused. And ABC will have a tabletop exhibit at this skipped event, just with handouts uh, about ABC, providing resources, our processor and handler list, providing them with technical information and just various insights about almonds and how many benefit from almonds as an ingredient. Now, so I talked about Expo West, I talked about the Skiff Supplier Night. The third event that's happening in March is a Food Innovate event. So this is a smaller event. It's a two-day summit with about 200 attendees. Lots of informative sessions covering food, beverage, innovation, technology, consumer insights. So very much networking focus in the smaller environment. And this the smaller environment in enables us to connect with large and small CPG manufacturers. So some of the large CPG manufacturers like Mars, PepsiCo, Unilever, Danone, and other startups just to provide updates on the almond industry and answer any questions that they may have about almonds, their forms, varieties, and how we can help meet their needs. That all sounds great. Again, um, the networking opportunities, especially at the Food Innovate Show, seems amazing. And I'm, I'm guessing that's going to be part of this next answer is, why is that important for ABC to be in this space? So food professionals attend these shows to find insights. And those insights come from experts providing advice or inspiration really to help them meet their business needs. So it's crucial for the Almond Board to maintain a presence with manufacturers who can help the industry drive innovation and consumer demand for almonds. And we're all about driving that consumer demand. So these food professionals that attend a show like um, Food Innovate or like Expo West, they tend to be decision makers in ingredient sourcing, product development, marketing, and nutrition. So it's important to meet them with information about environmental stewardship, scientific studies, and just trends and other inspiration that can make a strong case for including almonds in their product lines. So attending events helps ABC keep tabs on the big picture challenges, some of the trends that we're seeing in food and beverage, just to ensure that our research and our marketing programs are positioned for long-term success. Very good. Uh, one of the cool uh, things that we featured last year was the student competition that was held in, I know that's in correlation with IFT as well. This year, we put a name on it, the Tastemaker Trials. 
this is kind of fun. Um, talk a little bit, remind everybody what, what this program was and about the product that won last year and then what it's kind of developed into this year because it's definitely taken on its own personality this year. Absolutely. Super, super excited about Tastemaker Trials. Um, last year, we did a competition with Drexel University, and we were able to um, inspire or develop nine almond-based product concepts. So we're really, really excited to expand it just from not just Drexel University, but really opening it up to all universities where there are students um, that are potential product developers. So we launched this uh, Tastemaker trial in January, and this competition invites U.S. college and university students studying food science, culinary innovation, or any related degree areas to create a delicious almond-based snack product that sets a new standard for intentional indulgence in snacks. So last year, our program was all about um, how do we appeal to Gen Zs with almond-based products. This year, we're taking it a little bit further by putting a theme of intentional indulgence. Still trying to reach that Gen Z and younger millennial, but excited that there is a, a bigger theme for people to really sink their teeth into, so to speak. So the first place team in this year's Tastemaker Trials will be awarded with a trip and celebration at the 2024 IFT First Expo, and that's in July in Chicago, where there are other food industry members that gather to discuss the science, innovation, and just in, in explore ingredients and technologies for the future. We did something similar to that last year, where we also brought the winners of the Drexel University um, competition to IFT. So happy to do that again this year. But this year's competition is just the next evolution and expansion of the Drexel program, which was in, in, introduced in, on a smaller scale and just with the one school. I'm Brian German for Agnet West Radio Network. You're listening to the Agnet News Hour. Now for more news. Enrollment opens this week for the Dairy Margin Coverage Program, and the American Farm Bureau Federation is encouraging dairy producers to enroll in the Risk Management Program. Michael Clements shares more. The Department of Agriculture this week opens the Dairy Margin Coverage Program enrollment period for 2024. American Farm Bureau Federation economist Danny Munch says the program helps dairy producers manage risk. Dairy margin coverage, often called DMC, provides a level of risk management protection to dairy farmers under low margin conditions. So that can be caused by low milk prices, high feed costs, or a combination of both. To participate in dairy margin coverage, dairy producers select a coverage level ranging from $4 to $9.50 per hundredweight on 50 cent increase. And then they select a coverage level for their production history, ranging from 5% to 95% of their coverage history. The enrollment period starts Wednesday, February 28th. Enrollment for the year, which traditionally opens in October, has been delayed up until this point. FSA originally reported delays for software updates, as well as the need to publish a new rule related to production history as the reason why there were delays. AFBF sent a letter urging FSA to open enrollment back on February 6th. Fine up or dairy margin coverage will end April 29th. And the good news is there will be retroactive coverage and payments for those who sign up quickly. Munch says that while opening DMC enrollment helps, AFBF is still seeking larger changes to how dairy farmers are paid. 
National Farmers Union joined AFDF last week to request emergency implementation of the higher of class one mover. We calculated that pool losses for the month of January because of that formula switch back in the 2018 Farm Bill were over $55 million, and that negatively impacts our producers' checks. So we're glad to be joining with National Farmers Union to uh, request that emergency implementation from the secretary. Learn more at FB.org. Michael Clements, Washington. What are the forecasts for the planting, production, supplies, demand, and price of three major crop commodities in the upcoming year per USDA? Rod Bain reports. How many acres will be planted of what major commodity crop this year? USDA's outlook for 2024 includes... Of the three major crops, wheat acres are anticipated to see the largest decline in percentage terms during the 24-25 crop year, down 5% year-over-year to 47 million acres. Corn acres are anticipated to decline to 91 million acres in the upcoming crop year, 4% lower than 23-24. USDA economist Jake Villeman at this year's Ag Outlook Forum said lower prices for both wheat and corn are behind lower planting projections. However... Soybeans will buck the overall trend and rise nearly 5% to 87.5 million acres as rising demand for soy oil and biofuel and expanding crush capacity supports demand. The total planted acreage forecasted for all three crops in 2024, about 225.5 million acres. That's below last year's total of almost 228 million. Looking at the projected balance sheets for individual crops, starting with corn, which supplies are projected at a record 17.2 billion bushels at sharply higher carry-in, more than offsets lower production, which is forecast at 15 billion bushels, 2% below last year's record level. Corn use is forecasted higher than the previous marketing year based on growth of domestic use and exports, while ethanol use is expected to increase marginally this year. At the end of the year, this leaves us with a carry-out of 2.5 billion bushels, the highest in 35 years. The notable aspects of the soybean balance sheet forecast for 2024-25. U.S. soybean production is forecast at a record 4.5 billion bushels in 24-25, 8% higher than the current crop year. Exports are projected to rebound 9% to 1.9 billion bushels on global demand growth. Crush is expected to total 2.4 billion bushels, up 4% from the current crop year and reaching a record for the fourth consecutive year as domestic biofuel programs support demand. The result? Higher ending stocks projected for this marketing year. I'm Rod Bain reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. That's today's top agriculture news. I'm Sabrina Halverson. Thank you for sharing your morning with us. To get more information on the topics you heard today, visit Agnet West online at agnetwest.com. You can also stay connected by following us on our social media at Agnet West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find our broadcast team of Bryant German and Sabrina Halvertson on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening to the Agnet News Hour from Agnet West. Agnet West Radio Network, your primary choice for agriculture news.